Good morning, Hoopheads, and welcome back to Jersey Jump Shot, the first and only podcast dedicated exclusively to college basketball in the Garden State. I'm Jerry Carino. With me, as always, is colleague Steve Edelson. We'll also be joined by Chris Eisman, who's been watching Rutgers closely. It's been a rough patch for the Scarlet Knights, but first, our special guest, and that is Seton Hall wing Dre Davis. You've probably seen the highlights by now. In the closing moments of the Pirates' win over 7th-ranked Marquette, Dre threw threw down a fast-break dunk and then muscled in a driving layup to seal the deal. The Indianapolis native is averaging 13.5 points and 5.5 rebounds a game this season, and the Hall is 10-5 and and tied for first in the Big East with a two-game road swing on tap this week. Dre Davis, welcome to Jersey Jump Shot. Thank you for welcoming me. I appreciate you guys. And welcome to Malia. How old is Malia now? She's one. One year old. Amazing. And I want to start off by saying Saturday night, you come home from this huge game against Marquette, and then there's video of Malia dunking lefty on a toy hoop. I got to ask you, who taught her to do that, you or Kia? Uh, We've both been trying to teach her how to, uh, you know, interact with the hoop and shoot. Uh, you know, it's been a tough process, but, uh, you know, I came home one day, um, actually two days before that game, came home and um kid told me that she taught her how to do it finally. And I ended up coming home that night and she was doing it all night. So uh, it was fun to be able to get that win and come home to that. A couple of dunks for the uh, Davis family. And Kia is a player for St. Peter's on the women's team there. So a lot of really good bloodlines for Malia. So we'll be seeing her recruited down the road for sure, Dre. Let's uh, – that's that's great stuff. Go ahead, Steve. You know, Jerry, I'm I'm just curious. Maybe you could take everyone through that driving layup you had with 10 seconds left. That meant so much in that game. Um, you know, it was a play. Um, uh, you know, we run a lot. Um, I think it was just uh, play kind of broke down. Uh, you know, could already have a nice drive, kind of kick to uh, create a. Uh, you know, closeout situation for me. I seen it was five seconds left, so um, just try to do what I could do with it at the time. Drive, get fouled, or finish the layup, and um, you know, by the grace of God, I was able to uh, get a little angle uh, to finish. You know, it, it seems like you yourself and you guys have a number of guys that are just comfortable with the ball in their hands in those big end game situations. Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, I think we have a lot ton of talent on this team, um, a ton of guys that are comfortable, like like you said, with the ball in their hands. They um, are great playmakers, not only for themselves, but for the team. Um, so, you know, when it comes down to those type of moments, we're very confident in our guys. Dre, what has changed for this team over the past month that you guys have hit the accelerator like this? Um, I don't think it was um, any one thing, I would say. I think it um, just came down to understanding who we are as a team and, uh, you know, what we do well, you know, our strengths and weaknesses as individuals and how we can put it together. Um, you know, to be a complete team and, you know, be able to get these wins. And um, I think once we understood that and understanding, you know, what our identity is on the defensive end and understanding that that's going to help us win games, then um, I think putting that all together, I think makes us an unstoppable team. Dre, was there like a moment, maybe in a practice, maybe in a game where you you kind of thought, wow, you know, this team could be pretty good and and we really are coming together as a group. And it kind of led to this run of play you guys have had. 
I'm I always felt like this was a good group of guys. You know, um, it was never not a time that I didn't feel confident um, with our guys. You know, I think it was just more so about, uh, like I said, just putting it all together, understanding who we are. Um, I had to choose a key turning point. I'll probably say that Missouri game. I think that was um, closer to one of our more complete games um, for the, like, you know, putting together for the first time. And I think ever since then, we kind of seemed like, okay, this is how it works. Okay. Um, you know, just keep pushing that forward game by game. Just try to keep continue to put, um, you know, full 40 minutes together of that basketball seat and hall identity. Sometimes it only takes one spark, and that Missouri game was it. The, Dre, the crowd against Marquette. In terms of impact, you know, where did that crowd rank in your two years here? And what kind of things do you hear as a player that motivate you when you're out there? Give us an example of what it's like to be playing when 10,000 people are going bonkers like that. Definitely. Oh. That definitely ranks one of my highest um, game, one of the loudest games I've been a part of for sure. Um, but you know, I expect nothing less from uh, Pirate Nation. You know, they come out and support. Uh, you know, they give us their all, so we go. Out, we have to go out there and do the same to give them our all. Um, but no, it, it means a lot for us as players. You know, uh, just that extra boost of motivation. Uh, you know, just feeling that love and support um, down the uh, stretch of tough games. You know, it goes a long way, especially for uh, opposing. Um, teams, you know, coming in um, when a place is rocking like that, it's a tough place and tough environment to play in. So, um, you know, huge thanks to the Pirate Nation. Hey, Dre, your your dad is a is a basketball coach. What's the most important lesson you learned from him? And are there certain things he said to you over the years that kind of go through your head during a game at points? Definitely. Uh, you know, it's a, I, I played for my father almost my whole life, so uh, it's a ton of things that I've learned from him throughout my life. Um, I would say that one thing that I learned from playing with him is, you know, it's kind of tough just trying to uh, separate the father-son and coach-player um, aspect of it. And then I think that was the toughest part. So just understanding, like, obviously taking tough coaching for one, and then for two, just understanding that, uh, you know, you can't let no, anyone take your joy away from the game. You always got to be joyful no matter what's going on. Um, something I always hear in my head when I'm playing is just he always preached about being the hardest worker, hardest player. Um, he had this funny saying that uh, the basketball feeds off energy. You know, if you play with a ton of energy, play with a ton of passion, a chip on your shoulder somehow, some way, the basketball is going to bless you. So um, I try to always just every time I step on the court, no matter if it's practice, scrimmage, whatever the case may be, if I step on the court, just I play with that same level of intensity, hard work, and energy, and everything else will fall in line. Dre, in Jersey, we hear you know you hear about the legend of Indianapolis high school basketball, the, the intensity and the love for the sport out there. What is it like? Is that is that true? Give us a sense for the fervor for for hoops in high school and college and in, in, in Indiana. Um, no, definitely, you know, it's definitely a basketball state. You know, wherever you go in Indiana, there's hoops everywhere, parks everywhere, gyms everywhere. Um, you know. I love the environment in basketball in Indiana, especially in high school basketball. You know, it's very huge. Though. I'm sorry. <laughs> she's, she's, Malia's excited. That's all right. Yeah, the many different rivals uh, throughout the state of Indiana. Uh, you know, it's just it's everywhere. Um, you know, that was a huge up part of my uh, upbringing, my father, my brother. Um, and we know there's a lot of legends coming out of Indiana that we can look up to as well. Um to uh, basically just be able to say we can make it, you know. Hi, 
Dre, I want to ask you one more question on your background. How did you learn to use your pivot foot so effectively? You know, I can't even – I lost track of the number of guys you've you faked out and scored on by using that pivot foot. Very old school. Where does that come from? Um, Obviously training. Um, you know, my trainers, my pops. Um, you know, part of it is just experience. You know, I've played with a, a lot of um, guys that um, are in the league or uh, on their way to the league and – uh, you know, you kind of just pick up on things, uh, steal a couple things from other people. Trey, what's it like to play for Shaheen Holloway? Is there are there any like you know stories that kind of typify w- what that experience is like for you? Um, it's been a fun experience for me. Um, you know, it, it reminds me of playing for my pops. You know, just that um, tough love, that um, you know, um hard coaching, but uh, it's all from a place of love. You know, he really has a, a, a huge passion and love for the game. And um, when you play for him, that's something you got to understand. Um, you know, he coaches with that same chip on his shoulder that, you know, us as players want to play with. And, you know, that's somebody I want. That's something I wanted and needed from a coach because um, that's something I feel like I can relate to. Um, and like you said, um, you know, anytime, you know, somebody shoots a three, you're in the corner, he's into the game, you get a high five from him, gets in the defensive stands, and like you just see it in his face and in the way he coaches. Like, um, you know, that's the way we, we feed off that energy. And, you know, that that goes a long way as players. Dre, can he still play, Shaw? <laughs> I don't know. You got, you got, I, I, I'm sure he can. Um, you know, he, he doesn't lace it up and go one on one with you guys. I tell him we got, we got to lace him up one day. All right, after the season, you get back to that. Uh, I want to ask you about these big wins you've had. What's what's Shaw been like in the post-game locker room? Like, you beat Marquette, 10,000 people are going crazy. Shaw walks in the locker room, and what happens? Uh, I mean, he's just real mellow. Um, you know, it's something that he, he expects to win games like this, and we expect to win games like that. Um, you know, obviously you want to celebrate this good win, big win, but at the end of the day, we got to move on. We got um, Georgetown tomorrow. Um, we got to get prepared for them and, um, you know, just move on to the next game. Like I said, these are games that, you know, we expect to win. So um, we got to celebrate about the same time. We got to move on to the next one. Nobody's dousing him with water or the Gatorade bucket or anything like that, right? There's no dancing. It seems pretty pretty businesslike. Yes, yeah, strictly business. You know, like I said, we expect to win games like that. So um, there's no need for all the extra celebration. All right, you got two road games this week. You've, you've played basketball all over the country, Dre. This is an important question. Compare the pizza in New Jersey to the pizza in Louisville and Indianapolis. Rank them one, two, and three. Jersey's definitely one. <laughs> um, I got gold State at two and then Louisville at three. Well, all right, Louisville comes in at the bottom there. I've been to Louisville, but I never had the pizza there, so I guess that was a good move on my part. All right, good stuff, Dre. Dre Davis joining us before he heads down to Georgetown. And Malia joining us, too. And she's every bit as active as her father. And that's a good sign. I'm sure we'll be seeing her dunk more in the future. Dre, thanks a lot, and we'll see you down the road. Thank you. I appreciate you for having me. Bye, Malia. All right, Steve. So big uh, big happenings for Seton Hall. Uh Surge that neither of us saw coming. You know, you and I walked out of that game against Rutgers uh, a month ago and said, well, it's just not happening for the Pirates this year. And I guess that's just college basketball for you, right? I'd love to say we were wrong, but really this it's just that's the sport. I mean, what do you think of what's taken place recently with the Pirates? I'll sum it up in two words. Shaheen Holloway. 
you know, you are starting to see now uh, what we've been talking about for, you know, a year and a half and year two. Now you, what you see is a really well coached team and a coach who's using what pieces he has flaws and all to get the most out of it. And, and I think that's what you're seeing right now. Uh, you, you're, you're seeing, you're seeing him, uh, you know, kind of, kind of as the puppet master, you pulling the strings and, and getting these guys to, to play as a team. And, and, and again, the roster has flaws, but they're tied for first. One flaw they don't have is, is a, they have a point guard and boy, Kadari Richmond is playing well. We've said for years, if they could ever get consistency, if they could ever tap into that potential. And of course, Richmond is a big part of that. He has really put it all together. Steve, not just the points, although he does, he does get to the rim at will and he gets fouled a ton, but the 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 ball movement and the defense and the rebounding, the guy is doing it all. I mean, he's playing at an all big east level. And like when you when you talk to these opposing coaches after these games, the first thing they talk about, unprompted by us, is Kadari Richmond. Yeah. And again, I, I would say Shaheen Holloway, you know, a, a something of a point guard whisper, you know, really, really getting the most out, out of Richmond this year. And we said it right from the start. He's the key to this team. You know, he's one of the best players on the court every time he steps on and he has to play like that. And and I think you're seeing it now. And I think you're seeing the Holloway influence. Right. So the Seton Hall now is a big week for them because they have two road games uh, at Georgetown, which is a game that could really hurt their metrics. And now we're talking about Seton Hall's resume because they are appearing in bracketologies and then at Butler, which is a tough game. And at the moment would be a quad one win. Butler's better this year. And, uh, you know, I think the a one in one week gets the chains, keeps the chains moving. But what we're really going to find out, Steve, is the maturity. This is why you have veteran players. You know, they come, they come off that big win against UConn and they crashed at Xavier. Now Xavier is very good, but they, you know, they got, they got run off the court by 20 and Sheehan Holloway said, well, we kind of, we kind of mailed this in. And then they come off the huge win at Providence, and they don't mail it in. They come up, come back with their left hook to match the right against Marquette. Now, can they get up for this game? It's going to be dead in the arena in Georgetown. Georgetown is a good coach. This isn't Patrick Ewing's teams anymore who don't know what they're doing. Can they take care of business against Georgetown and then you know get the split or even go 2-0 this week on the road? A real test for maturity and focus for the Pirates now coming off you know, a huge, a huge run of momentum. Yeah. And, and I think one of the keys is you're starting to see a little bit more production from that bench, you know, and I think that kind of is the next step from this team. If they can start to, to grind out points and rebounds from the reserves, you know, that's, that's only going to help them, you know, get to the finish line here. Look for freshman David Tubek. You know, Shaw really trusted him in a big spot at Marquette. Right. He's finally healthy after suffering some back problems for months. He's got a man's body. He's got a big East body as a freshman forward, six foot seven. Look for him to get more time and get more uh, opportunity to really, you know, sort of relieve those starters and hold the fort, which they desperately need as this big East season rolls on. Okay. Uh, switching our attention now to Rutgers and the big 10 grind, uh, you know, Rutgers in a tough stretch. They're Owen three in the league. Now it's been a while since they were in this position Chris Eisman's joining us. Welcome back, Chris. Chris, you know, watched both of their road games last week closely, losses to Ohio State, at Ohio State, and then at Iowa. Chris, 
your takeaways, where you think this team is at right now as in it, they come to really a crossroads in their season? Yeah, I mean, obviously, listen, coming into this year, we thought that the Big Ten schedule, the Big Ten gauntlet was going to be a little tough for Rutgers considering, you know, what they lost in the offseason. They have, you know, new pieces that they're trying to fit together. And, and a lot of that's, you know, now coming true. And there's some issues that, you know, this team is definitely dealing with and needs to figure out. You know, I mean, when you're falling behind, you know, double digits to these teams in the first half, and then you're trying to, you know, furiously come back, it's 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 tough to do in the Big Ten. And, you know, Rutgers is not a good enough offensive team where it can recover easily. Um, and that's what happened. You know, obviously, Ohio State, they made that a close game, and credit to them. They fought back, um, you know, and they and they gave themselves a chance in that one. But Iowa was a different story. You know, they couldn't, they couldn't um, you know, completely come back there either. You know, I mean, it's tough to win a game when you're missing, you know, 14 or 15 field goals. And a lot of those are layups that are definitely makeable shots. It just Rutgers couldn't make them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, listen, Watt Mack played great at Iowa. Derek Simpson played great at Ohio State. But Rutgers need four guys to play great right now um, because it's just, you know, again, this is a gauntlet. We know that every single season. And if they don't figure out these issues soon, things are only going to get worse. You know, they got some tough teams coming up. So they definitely have issues that they have to figure out. Their shooting needs to be better. Um, you know, like I said, they need to make more of those easy shots around the basket. Uh, they need more from Cliff Amore. But, but at the same time, a lot of you know, defenses are really obviously keying in on him, making his life difficult because, you know, Rutgers is – not doing anything from the outside. So they're able to pack the paint and, and like I said, make his life difficult down there. So, you know, they got issues that they have to figure out. There's no doubt. No, Cliff was a preseason, all big 10 selection. He was all big 10 last year. Uh, his production has been way down this year against high major opponents. Chris, how much of that is him? How much of it is scheme? How much of it is Rutgers guard play? I think it's, I mean, not to, take a cop-out answer, but I think it's a combination of all three, right? I mean, I, I think that, you know, defenses, like I said, are able to, you know, really pay so much more attention to him because Rutgers is not getting a lot of production elsewhere. And it, it's making a big difference. They absolutely need more out of him. With a player like that, you know, they have to figure out how to, how to you know, make things easier for him and, and you know, make him uh, more of an offensive force because he's such a good player. He has so much potential, obviously, to, to really you know, help carry them. And right now he just hasn't been able to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Rutgers needs more from its guards, too. Um, you know, that that's like I said, that's a big factor or a considerable factor, at least. So, you know, they need they need you know improvements all around here. But again, it's just they need more consistency, too. I think some guys play really well in some games and then just kind of it's not there the next. Um, you know, it's just that's kind of been the, the story of of their season so far. I mean, Derek Simpson and Noah Fernandes were great against Ohio State, you know, they just need to continue to do that consistently. You know, it's you know this, Chris. You covered basketball a long time, the Knicks, the NBA, and college too. Basketball at some point, of course it's a team game, and, and Rutgers has gotten, has revived the program under Steve Peichel by playing the team game. But at some point, like, you need some star power to, to put you over the top. We're seeing that with Seton Hall and Kadari Richmond. We've seen Rutgers guys do it in the past. You know, Ron Harper – uh, Geo Baker, and I, I feel like Rutgers needs that now from Cliff. Like that's the missing ingredient. They need their star to produce more. And so, like the whatever it is, the guard play scheme, Cliff, um, whatever that is, to me, if Rutgers is going to reverse what's going on, and you, you never count a team out. Like Seton Hall is Exhibit A. You know, we counted them out a month ago. Everyone did, understandably, I guess. But look where they are now. So. In the Big Ten, as with the Big East, you're only a couple of opportunities away from writing the ship 
and being back in the mix. And Rutgers has a bunch of big games ahead. So to me, the the best way to bridge that gap is to get more out of your star. And we'll see if they could do that with Cliff, which leads us to the week they have ahead. Uh, Indiana at home and then at Michigan State. All right, Michigan State's going to be ornery. They come off a Northwestern loss. You know that's going to be a really tough game in the Breslin Center where Rutgers has never won. But before then, Indiana comes in. We've written and talked a lot about how well Rutgers has matched up with Indiana, how they've pushed them around. Uh, Indiana has not won in Piscataway in ages. They've been beaten down there, including last year when they were a top-10 team. So to me, even though Indiana is playing pretty well, the 3-1 and one in the league, uh, they are the made-to-order opponent for Rutgers here in what I would expect to be a raucous environment, like a last-stand feel to it this game has. If Rutgers is going to right the ship, it's got to start against Indiana, and I think Indiana is the right opponent. Chris, what's your thoughts on the, the, the matchup and what has to happen Tuesday? Yeah, I, I agree with you, Jerry. I, I, I actually thought that after the Iowa game, I said, well, you know, kind of thinking about the, this game tomorrow night, this is the perfect time to play them. I mean, Obviously, Rutgers has had Indiana's number for a while. Listen, I think Indiana's playing well, but I certainly think they're definitely beatable, especially for Rutgers at home. Um, you know, you got to limit Malik Renault. You, know, you have to, you know, Indiana's not a great, it has not been so far a great defensive team. I think uh, opponents are shooting at 41.6% against them um, so far. So, I listen, I mean, this is definitely for a team like Rutgers that has had some offensive issues, this could be a good team for them to, to kind of exploit a little bit. And like you said, too, get more out of Cliff Amore. This really needs to be a game where he has to figure out a way to help carry Rutgers and, and, and be a force down low. Like, you know, everyone knows he can be, but he just hasn't been uh, so far this season for the most part. But, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is uh, like a, a perfect time for Rutgers to kind of break out of this this little uh, this losing streak that they're in, you know, in the Big Ten um, and get their first conference win. It's, it's a huge opportunity. And, and you said it, Jerry. I mean, the blessing and the curse about the Big Ten is that these are really tough games, but the blessing is that they're really tough games, and if you win them, that certainly helps your cause and, and obviously your resume. So, you know, there's definitely times for Rutgers to, to figure it out, and it, it would be a good time for them to do it tomorrow against Indiana. This is the time, right? Indiana, I've said this soft in the past. i, I got to see that that's changed with my own eyes. Um, so I, I do think this is a real chance for Rutgers and their fans, who I assume will bring it. Um, that's – that's another leads us to another topic real quickly. We've talked about the renovations to Jersey Mike's arena. Chris, you've written about it. You've interviewed athletic director, Pat Hobbs about it. I talked to the three most recent presidents of the, of the Rutgers court club about it, as well as a couple other people, including former Scarlet Knight skipper, Bob Wenzel, who travels all over the country and sees all kinds of arenas. And you know, what they say is basically like, do, do the bare minimum. You know, you have to create some amenities, but, Really don't touch the configuration inside the ball. Concourse, yes. Work that over. Lobby, yes. Um, bathrooms, obviously. But in the bowl, like, don't touch much because other teams like Baylor renovated their arena, downsized it to gain home court advantage. Rutgers has that. So, Chris, what do you think of what they've said? You've been there enough. You heard from Pat Hobbs on it. What do you think about that whole philosophy? I mean, I think that that's got to be priority number one. Absolutely. You know, the place needs an upgrade. You know, bathrooms, no doubt, like you said, Jerry. Um, you know, I think most people want concourses that you can walk all the way around. But, yeah, 100%. You cannot – you can't take one of the best home court advantages in the country and then do some renovations and then have it – have that hurt, you know, one of the biggest advantages that Rutgers has. I mean, you, you can't mess with anything 
that you know would, would take away from that type of raucous environment. So I think that that's definitely the challenge for Rutgers. But at the same time, as you said, Jerry, and as Pat Hobbs said too, they understand that they can't, they don't, and Steve Peichel too, they do not want to mess with anything that will change the environment and take away that home court advantage. So that's going to be the challenge. And that's why architects make a lot of money to figure out how to, how to do that and why we just talk about it. Can you find – that's a very good point, Chris. We just talk, and we're good at talking. Uh, the, uh, the the one thing that kept coming up was the Rutgers, they need to get some revenue out of this, right? That's obviously important. Uh, but, thing, yeah, yeah you got to get some revenue out of this renovation. The question is, how much luxury seating do you go with? And also, can you can you displace, you know, the court club long-timers who've been, who've been sitting in those 100-level seats on the side courts for decades – who supported this team through the lean years, can you displace them with luxury seating or with students, moving the students to the side court? I know these are things that are being thought about. How much can you displace them without, dis- A, disrupting the character of the, of, the, of the building, but also like not alienating these people who've been backing the program for so long before it became fashionable? That's a real legitimate question, right? Yeah, hundred percent, and and I think that that was something that when the survey came out, a lot of people were were concerned about. The funny thing about the survey too is people were up in arms about a lot of issues, but my that's a survey. So if you don't like it, right. you tell Rutgers that you don't right. like it. That's the point of the whole survey. So I mean, I, I I absolutely like you don't want to change any of that, and and you know that's always a thing in, throughout all the sports, right? Anytime a new arena is open or a new stadium is open, it's you know what's the luxury seating going to be like? Who's going to be able to afford it? It's going to become too business like. All types of things like that. Um, yeah, hundred percent. They need to figure out a way that you know to not alienate those fans who have been there for so long and who have been some of the biggest supporters of the program for years. You know, through a lot of lean times. Um, so yeah, that's no doubt. That's something that they have to figure out. But again, you know, that's all part of this process. This kind of you know learning process and trying to figure out what they want to do with it. I'll say this: uh, I give Rutgers credit. They did, like you said, they did send a survey out. They did listening focus groups. And I'll say this about Pat Hobbs: he's a basketball guy. You know, I think he gets basketball. His big decisions he's, decisions he's made in his career regarding men's basketball have turned out pretty well. Hiring Tommy Amaker, hiring Kevin Willard at Seton Hall, hiring Steve Peichel at Rutgers, the building of the APC, which is an outstanding practice facility. Um, those decisions have all worked out well. And Jersey Mike's Arena, a good partner, a good corporate partner, makes a lot of sense. So you, I think if you're looking for a reason to be positive about it, that, that Pat Hobbs gets that basketball environment. And so we'll do what he can to sort of thread this needle and it will not be easy, but we'll be curious to see going forward. It was interesting to hear the feedback from, you know, the longtime hardcore fans. So lots of things to look out for regarding Rutgers. I want to mention, well, let's talk three mid-majors in New Jersey who are making some noise. Uh, Princeton goes to 13 and one by romping Harvard in their Ivy League opener. Not a terrible Harvard team. They just obliterated them. And Xavion Lee, this guy, this sophomore point guard, had 33 points, eight rebounds, seven assists against Harvard. He's averaging 19 points, five rebounds, and four assists a game. He's having like an – he's in the All-America conversation. He's so good. Uh, Came from Canada, recruited by Brett McConnell, Rutgers associate head coach has done a great job of identifying these these players for Princeton. Uh, Princeton's associate head coach, I'm sorry, who's done a great job identifying these players for the Tigers. And Steve, I voted for them in the top 25 this week. I felt like it was time. Well, listen, they're Nets 27, right? They're 
uh, every everything you look at w- when you watch this team, you know they look like a top twenty five team. Um, so yeah, I uh, I I think you know again we'll see what happens during what is always a grueling Ivy League schedule. But right now, I think they have the look of a top twenty five team. And it's two months away. We're two two months and change away from talking about the Haggerty Award for the best player in the metropolitan area. But Princeton is now is now rejoining that group of eligible schools. And Xavier Lee, we mentioned Kadari Richmond. I know Joel Soriano is having a terrific season for St. John's. Xavier Lee of Princeton, and I think Caden Pierce, too, are both in that conversation. Princeton's got some really good players. So they got a bye week. The Ivy League schedule is weird, Steve. Princeton's got a bye week, and then they resume Ivy League play. Some big showdowns with Yale are a little further off, and we'll be watching those. Uh, let's talk Monmouth, uh, the Hawks win against Towson, and they have a huge week ahead. Catch us up on where they are, Steve, and what's coming up. Yeah, Monmouth had a nice win over Towson, uh, you know, and they host Northeastern tonight in a game, you know, they, they should win. And, you know, if they do, you know, they'll have one four of five with the only loss in that that stretch at Oklahoma on New Year's Eve, you know, and, and then it gets tough, as you said. Then they have to go to Charles. They, have, they go to uh, UNC Wilmington and Charleston later this week. Uh, two really of the elite teams in the CAA. And then they back that up next week when they have to go to Drexel, which is probably the third best team in the league right now. So uh, we're going to find out how close Monmouth is to the the elite teams in the CAA over the next week. And it'll be interesting to see. You know, they had a nice win, like I said, against Towson, where uh, Xander Rice scored the, the team's final 16 points to pull out wow. in that game. So, um, you know, they, they've got a, they've got a chance against pretty much everyone they play, which is a lot different than last year. We should mention Xander too, as a candidate, you know, for the all metropolitan honors, he's having just an incredible season, not just production, but also leading. Yeah, absolutely. He's, he's, he's a tick under 20 a game. He's had some huge games. He had 30 points at West Virginia. Uh, so it, it, he really has stepped up in some of their biggest games this year. Steve, if Monmouth goes two and one this week, it's a huge success. Oh, absolutely! Two and one would w- would be huge. They, that really, they would be right near the top of the league. And uh, you know, again, I think I think there's a lot of a lot of uh, room for improvement for this team. They have a lot of young kids that are really in their first college season and playing well. So, so we'll see. The Hawks continue their big step forward, and we got to mention St. Peter's. Five straight wins, Steve. Five straight wins. They're four and zero, and they sit atop the MAC. How about it? I mean, the the preseason magazines picked them last, next to last, and two from last. And yep. here they are: Bashir Mason, Corey Washington, the sophomore forwards, having a superb season. He scores forty five points in two games against Iona and and Mount St. Mary's. You've watched St. Peter's pretty closely, Steve. What do you think of what's going on up there? Well, here's my thoughts on this team, right? They are, they really are the best defensive team in the NAC, right? Um, and they don't score a lot, but that's a good foundation right there. And and I think that's what you're seeing. You know, they 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 really dig in on the defensive end and, and that has been their calling card. And I think that's a really good, as I said, a good starting point to kind of rise up in that league, in a league that's wide open right now. And they rebound well too, Steve. So that's yeah, another the number thing. one rebounding team in the league. Yep. Yeah. When you rebound and you defend, that's I mean, you're two thirds of the way there. So in a wide open league, we'll be fascinating. All right. So 
So listen, there's a lot of stuff on the move here suddenly in Jersey, right? We got some teams that are in the mix for some big prizes. Long way to go. Thanks to Dre Davis for joining us. And Malia, of course, future star in the making. Uh, gentlemen, it's we're right in the thick of it, man. And so we'll keep everybody posted. We'll keep watching. You keep listening. Thanks for joining us. Jersey Jump Shot signing out. See you next week. Thank you.